Do you know what it's really thrilled me tonight? Isn't it great to see your pastor really enjoying himself? <laughs> do you know what? It really isn't it? it seriously, it is. And, and I just think, do you know what? And, and not because I'm just drawing attention to that, because all of the worship team are, are, are ex, you know, excellent. I just think actually to see, to see your, your pastor, our leader, our, 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 our sort of you know, visionary actually, still get excited and passionate about worshipping God. Isn't that something to be celebrated? I think so. And, and I think, you know, um, you know, a leader does what a leader requires. And I just thank you, Leon, for tonight, because that, that, was, that was just awesome, just to be in, in the presence of God. And, and, and this is called encounter for a reason. Um, it's not just a random word that we pulled out and we, you know, just thought, that sounds a really cool, cool name. The kids will come if we call it encounter. It, it's, 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 nothing, it's nothing to do with that, you know. It's, it's, it's just our heart is that we can put everything to one side just for an hour together and, and just hear the heart of God and just give him room and give him opportunity to meet us where we really are. Not, our, not if we serve and we volunteer, not, not our serving face and our volunteering face and, and the jobs that we do, but just so that we can meet with God in a way that he can meet with us as his children. And, and I really value that, you know, these times that we have together once a month where we can get some perspective or maybe some peace, you know, and, and some direction. But I just wonder, how easy do you find it to keep your focus how easy do you find it to keep your focus? You know, and when we come in meetings like this and gatherings like this, you know, how, how easy, distracted do we get? You know, I can sometimes come on a Sunday and I can be so ready to worship God and hear what God's got to say to me. But you know what? If somebody three rows in front of me starts doing something really interesting, straight away, in a blink of an eye, I'm like, oh, what are they doing? You know, or what they're talking about. Or, and we so easily get distracted, don't we? We so easily, our focus easily gets, gets taken away. Um, but do you know what? I want you to stay with me tonight. Stay with me on the journey that we're going to go on because our worship tonight is what we see of God. And, and I just want you to take us on a journey you tonight about really what it really means to have an encounter with the living God. And, um, you know, all the definitions in the dictionary that I've found around this word encounter are to do with an unexpected meeting or um, with someone or something, especially one that happens by chance. And I want to take that a bit further, because that may be true from a language perspective and a definition perspective. Do you know what? But encounters can have significant impacts on our life, can't they? You can probably all think of encounters that you've had with people or or a time in your life that has been significant for you. And when that encounter involves God, when we open up that time to invite God in, do you know what? We can never be the same again. We can never be the same again. Um, because there's something that happens in, in, that, in that meeting place, in that moment, in that season. And we're going to look at an encounter tonight. And it's one that we've looked at and we've read hundreds of times. I can guarantee it. It will come up and you'll go, oh, is there anything new out of this? Yes, there is. Because the Bible is always full of stuff that we can learn. And stuff that we can absorb. And stuff that we can, we can take into our lives and move on with. And so we're going to go to Isaiah 6, probably one of the biggest encounters passages in the Bible. And the words are going to come up on the screen and we're going to read from chapter 6. And as soon as as you see, you're going to know what it is. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Send me. And I don't know what you know about this King Uzziah. I didn't know a lot until I looked him up. And and I realized, you know, that nothing in the Bible is just thrown in there by accident. There's a reason why everything is recorded. And I just want to encourage you in your study, you know, just don't gloss over life. There's something in there. Do a bit of digging because it's in the digging that we find the gold. And, uh, and so this King Uzziah was 16 years old when he came to the throne. 16. And you may know a 16-year-old. You may have a 16-year-old. But would you want them to be in charge of the nation? <laughs> no. <laughs> he was 16. He reigned for 52 years. 52 years. So he had a bit of a lengthy time on the throne. You know, in the first part of his reign, the Bible tells us that he was brilliant. In fact, the Bible says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Wouldn't that be great to be written about us? You know, Jane Sargent did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes would be the word on the end of that. You know? And the Lord really prospered him. But then, as what often happens to us men and women, you know, fame and strength led him to become really proud and um, led to his downfall. And the Bible records this for us, and it's in there for a reason. And what it says is this, that he entered, entered the temple to offer incense on the altar. And, you know, if you were here last month and Stuart was here and he talked about the altar and the offerings, you know, he wasn't allowed to do that. That wasn't his place. It wasn't his service. Only priests could do that that service and when people try to stop him has that ever happened to you you've had a great idea you think it's a good idea and people have run in and and tried to stop you and persuade you because it really isn't a great idea because they knew he would die probably but he was having none of it you see his pride and and his, his growth in his own believing of himself had grown to such a proportion that he thought you know what I can do this I can do this I can step in and offer incense to God me and him have really got this kind of relationship. We can, I can do that. I can go in. So he went. And in doing that, what Uzziah was saying was, do you know what? I'm above this law. I'm above this law. And while he was even arguing at the altar with the priest, the Bible tells us that leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. And he ran out of the temples and he realized too late he had overstepped the mark. He had overstepped the boundary. And that was his consequence. He still was king. But from that time until his death, he lived as a leper in a separate palace, totally disconnected from the rest of his people. You know, Uzziah forgot who God was and who God is. He forgot his place and he forgot God's place. Do you know what? He failed to see God high and lifted up. 
he failed to see God high and lifted up. You see, whenever we consider our weaknesses, you see, I'm okay with that because that makes me dependent on God. I'm quite happy with that. I know where I'm weak. So God can come in and help me and walk with me and I'm pretty all right with that. Actually, it's where I'm strong that I forget him. It's where I'm strong that I forget him. So you see, to say in that first line, in that chapter, in the year that King Uzziah died, that tells us a whole load of stuff. You see, it's saying, in the year a great and wise king died. Well, actually, it's saying more than that, isn't it? It's saying, in the year a great and wise king who had a tragic end died. That's what it's saying. And that would have shaken the nation. And it would have shaken Isaiah. So he had a great reason to be discouraged and disillusioned and really down at the death of that king because a great king had passed away. And Isaiah goes into the temple and he's saying, where's the Lord in all of this? Where's God in all of this? And it made me think, you know, I've asked that question quite a few times. Where's God in all of this? Where are you in all of this? And I think God wants to encourage us tonight and remind us of some stuff because Isaiah is about to have the wildest, most impacting reminder of where God is. Uzziah is dead, but God is alive. Uzziah is dead, but God is alive. He was and is and will always be alive because God never had a beginning. So he's not dependent on anything else for his existence. And I forget that. God is dependent on nothing else for his existence. And Isaiah saw God on a throne. He saw God on a throne where he has always been. Still in charge of creation. He wasn't sitting on a chair because anybody can sit on a chair. God is on the throne showing his authority and showing his sovereignty. You know, I can't sit on the throne in Buckingham Palace. I could probably get away with sitting on a chair, but I can't sit on the throne. And we need to understand the distinction here that Isaiah saw God where he is, where he has been and where he always will be, sitting on his throne. And it's like Isaiah was, God was saying to Isaiah, don't worry, mate. Don't worry, Isaiah. I know how down and how discouraged you are. Uzziah may not be on his throne, but I am most definitely on mine. Uzziah may not be on his throne, but I am most definitely on mine. And as Leon reminded us a couple of weeks ago, look up. Isaiah's first thing is, I saw the Lord high and exalted. He had to look up. He had to look up. And then these seraphim and these angels are crying to each other, not to God, to each other. God doesn't need telling who he is. They're telling each other, holy, holy, holy. They're reminding each other about the character of God. And you know what? I wished I did that with more people. I wished I did that more with you. I wished I reminded you more of the character of God. When stuff's going wrong and things are hard and challenging. But why say it three times? Surely once is enough. But you know what? In the Hebrew language... Intensity is communicated by repetition. So there's a reason why that's in there. To say the Lord is holy is something. To say the Lord is holy, holy says far more. To say the Lord is holy, holy, holy is to declare about God his complete holiness in the highest possible way. They couldn't say any bigger, any greater, any deeper. There's a reason why it's there. Just because they couldn't think of anything else to say. 
Holy, holy, holy. And do you know what? We struggle around this word, don't we? I think we struggle using the word holy. And I found a chart. You'll be so proud of me. I found a chart about the use of the word holy. And can you put it up for me, Chris? I hope you can see that. This is a chart that somebody has done which shows the use of the word and how it peaked in the 1850s. And look at the plummet line now. Look at the plummet line. Oh, you geeks in the room are loving this, aren't you? Just like, somebody's going to tell me that, this, that my, my scale on the side isn't, isn't cock on, but somebody will put me right on that. You know, in the 1800s, it's really, really high. We hardly use it now. We hardly use it now. So why do we shy away from using this word holy? Because at the core of it, all it really means is wholeness and perfection, isn't it? And before we start worrying and saying, well, Jane will never be perfect this side of heaven, and I know that, believe me, I know that. So let's just ignore it, shall we? Just work around this concept of holiness. We can, we can sort of do it. We know what it is really. We don't have to mention it, do we? We don't have to talk about it. But hang on a minute. I want to remind us of a couple of things tonight. We really want this thing called holiness, whether you admit it or not. We want holiness in our relationships, don't we? Who wants a friend who exploits us or a partner who lies to us? And you want holiness in your business dealings because no one's people who do shoddy work, do they? Or people who overcharge you. So actually there is something in this word holy that actually is endemic and actually something that we want and something that we long for and something that we hunger after because holiness is the essence of goodness. The essence of goodness. And do you remember Moses asked to see the glory of God but what did God reply back to Moses? I'm going to let my goodness pass before you because you can't see my face because you'll die just just digest that for a second God's goodness was so good that it could literally kill somebody and here's Isaiah and he sees this thing and he takes in the scene and his response is oh, I'm a man of unclean lips I'm a man of unclean lips. And I've always thought of this as actually, oh, all our weaknesses show up, don't they, when we're in with God? When we're with God in those moments, we're so aware of how, how terrible sinner I am and how awesome God is. And, and yes, that is true. But I just want to suggest something else to you. You see, Isaiah was a prophet and he used his mouth. That was his tool of his trade. So it wasn't a coincidence that he said that. It wasn't just a, a random part of his body that he mentioned. It was his greatest strength. It's like a pianist would feel about his fingers or a scientist about their mind. You know, it's the greatest thing about them. And that's why he says he's undone. He wasn't being made so much aware of his weaknesses. But Isaiah was being made to look at his strengths. And realising they really weren't strengths at all. And when that happens, you have to feel undone because that's the glue in your life that, or that you think in your life is holding you together. You know, I can feel pretty good about myself sometimes. I don't know about you. I have days when I feel, oh, Jane, you've done all right today. You know, that's gone quite well. You've handled that quite well. And, you know, and in itself, that isn't necessarily a really bad thing. But you see, then I can start the comparison game if I'm not careful. Well, I'm not as bad as that person because they did that and, and, oh, I wasn't quite 
you know, she missed the mark a bit, or, or he, he did that, and all of a sudden I'm here. But you see, when we see God as he truly is, in all his goodness, in his true holiness, I then see that the standard isn't about measuring against each other. It's not about measuring against each other. Isaiah, when I saw you, it felt like filthy rags, he says later on, when he's recounting the memory of his story. It's like filthy rags, God, in your sight. And often, the truth is that I want to reduce God to just a slightly bigger, slightly stronger, slightly more intelligent version of me. And that's a hard thing to admit to you, but it's true. I want God just to be slightly above where I am. You know, I want God to come down and dwell with me. I want God to come and walk with me and live with me and walk through the valley with me. And bless him, he does that. And he's great at that, but he isn't one of us. He's not like me in that sense. You know, I want him to explain himself. Do you sometimes? I want him to explain himself. And I find myself saying things like this to him. And I've written these down. These are things I've actually said to him. There'd better be some good coming out of this situation, God. Because if you don't explain to me or show me why this is happening, well, I just won't believe in you anymore. As if that's going to rock him off his throne. (laughs) But we say it, don't we? You say it. I say it. We all say it. Or, worse, I'll do something you won't like. (laughs) And then the crazy thing is that you do. And then what happens? We just end up having to go through this whole cycle again. You know, it's not about being able to question God or not or pour out my complaints and hurts to him. Man, the Bible is full of those, isn't it? And thank the Lord that he allows us the, the, the relationship and, and the, 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 um, the space to do that. But you know what? Just because I can't think of a good reason why something has happened doesn't mean there can't be a good reason why something has happened. You know, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And we need to see him more like that, guys. As he really is. And I question God a lot. But I have to remember what that great man wrote again in chapter 55, verses 8 to 9, that my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, you'd all agree with me that God is more powerful than me, wouldn't you? You'd agree, and you'd, you'd agree that God is more, is more powerful than you. And I want to put this into context with you. I've kind of worked this out, really, in, in a weird kind of way. I've worked out that if I rode in the gym to my fastest ability, which isn't fast, but it, for me, it's heart-wrenchingly, cardio, chest-breakingly, heart-attackingly there, okay? I can probably create enough energy to power four light bulbs. For a bit. Do you know, the sun creates enough energy in a second to supply all of our country's energy needs for 13 billion years. Do you know that? And we have a God who said, let there be light. And there was light. He just spoke that sun into existence. Me rowing four light bulbs on a good day. Probably flickering three and a half, if I'm honest. I'm trying to big myself up a bit here. God in a comment in a comment, creates a star that provides power for 13 billion years. There's no comparison, is there? And yet, you know what? I quickly forget that fact that changes 
everything. And if God's power is so above mine, and this is where the rubber hits the road for us tonight, then so must be his wisdom and his goodness and his holiness. So am I really in a place to hold God to account for anything? Do I really want to bring him down to me and my four light bulbs? Or do I want to be drawn up to him who in a comment creates the brightest star in our universe? Where do I want to be? Where do I want to be? Do I want to bring him down to my level of understanding and my limitations and my restrictions? I need to see God high and lifted up. I need to see God high and lifted up. I heard it explained like this once, um, that there was a seven-year-old child, it's like saying to a scientist, that rocket's never going to fly, you know. That rocket's never going to get off the ground. It's too big and too heavy. And the scientist didn't stop and explain the workings of how it was going to go to the child. He just said, sit down and just watch this. This is what God does sometimes. He doesn't explain everything. He doesn't give me the ins and outs. He just says, just sit down, girl, and watch this. Just sit down and watch this. God is high and lifted up. He is holy. He is above the above. And I know that's really difficult because I want to shrink him all the time so I can explain him or predict him. Or predict him. But before you think this is all bad news and how can we ever, ever understand and get into relationship, true relationship with this God, an incredible thing happens, doesn't it? An angel takes a coal, a live coal, red hot coal off the altar and comes to Isaiah and touches his lips with it. And a transaction takes place. A change. You know, Isaiah goes from feeling I am nothing, I'm not worthy, I'm so discouraged, life is terrible, I'm hopeless, what's going to happen to this nation, what are we going to do, I don't know what to do, do you know what to do, and, and all this stuff going on in him, and in that moment, in that transaction, in that encounter, Isaiah is changed, and that can be your experience tonight, that can be my experience tonight. He gets sent out again with a renewed confidence and a renewed passion. The world was still the same. The king was still dead. It's not how you enter the temple. It's how you leave it. And I don't know how you've come in tonight. I don't know what your day's been like, what your month has been like, what your year has been like. It doesn't matter how you've come in tonight. It's how you walk out that makes the difference. God had never changed. Isaiah had lost awareness of where God was. I must ask the band to come back and we're going to give God some time and give you some time and me some time tonight to, to encounter God. And we're just going to worship for, for a bit. And I think there's some stuff that God wants to do. Do you need a transaction to take place tonight? Do you need to have an encounter? Do you need to have a moment? This is the perfect place to have your moment with God. In how he wants to meet you and how you want to meet him. 
I just want to encourage you as we start to worship to look up and in your heart and in your spirit long to see God high and lifted up where he has been where he is and where he will forever be because that's where the power is and that's where the change is and that's where the transformation is and you know what you might leave tonight and and your world may be the same in the morning but something may have happened in you so I'm just going to pray can we stand and we're just going to worship and we're just going to see what God wants to do Do you know what? If God was small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. If God was small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. Let's not shrink him down tonight. Let's not have the, have the, 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 um, the wanting to have him walking beside us as though he is. Let's see him on his throne in the fullness of his power and in our worship let's see God how he really is tonight